Everybody. Welcome to the 230th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, always excited for those those uh, episodes that end in zero. 230 is a, is a big number, man. We've been doing this for, you know, 230 straight weeks, so I'm very proud of the accomplishments that you and I have made with this iteration of the Holy Backboard, so to 230 more. We've been, we've been doing the damn thing for quite some time sage and you're right it may not have been 230 straight weeks we do take some time in the off season but i don't think we miss a beat when the season we start one episode two yeah, episodes like we we're, we're in this and it's it feels like a typical blazer season uh, a lot of highs a lot of lows roller coasters great performances head scratchers and unfortunately, this this week was a little bit of of the latter. Uh, Portland stumbled out of the blocks to start the second half of the season, dropping two of their first three games. They they lose a, a tough one at home right out of the gate to the Phoenix Suns, a game in which they were up by 13 points, uh, went just just got completely outplayed in the fourth quarter, losing 121 to 127. They struggle mightily against the worst team in the NBA, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They, they were on the winning end on Saturday, 125 to 121, and the comeback came too little too late in a 114-112 defeat, uh, like we mentioned, 1-2 and two, and 22-16 and 16 overall, tied for fifth in the Western Conference. But, Sage, you're looking at Portland, yes, just – Two games out of fourth, three games out of third, but two games in the loss column back of Memphis at, at tenth. So it could go either which way. And we all knew the schedule was going to be more difficult in the second half, which is why when I saw the Minnesota Timberwolves back to back, I was like, oh, the schedule gods actually hooked us up pretty nicely. If that's one thing you want, you want two straight games against the worst team in the entire league, missing their second leading scorer and their starting shooting guard. But Sage, I, I got to say, we started off so strong against the Phoenix Suns. And really, after the second quarter of that, that Suns game, it's been struggle street for the Blazers. And even in victory, it was a struggle against these Minnesota Timberwolves. And then our, I think, just our lack of an offensive structure and ability that strings together multiple defensive stops really kind of bit us in the ass against Minnesota. They, they, re, they raced out to a lead um, of 14. We, we, we tried so hard to come back and had a couple of opportunities. It just, it wasn't enough. And it's another one of those losses that we're going to be looking back at this probably in May when the playoff seating seedings are, you know, announced. And we're going to be like that, that is a game that we absolutely would love to replay. One of the big things for this game in particular is, Minnesota went big with that jumbo lineup of Herman Gomez, Reed, and Cat, and we matched it with going really small. And I felt like that's where they got their big run was when they just controlled the boards both sides and kind of dictated that the pace was going to be that way. Of course, Noel and Anthony Edwards did their thing, but when when they went big on us, we didn't have the 
the capabilities of matching it. So they just kind of dominated us. So I have, I have a lot of, let's, let's dive right into this, this game where we lost. As you all know, we record Sunday nights. The Blazers just finished up this game roughly two, two and a half hours ago. So it's pretty fresh in our minds. And I, I think it is one of the, the bigger head scratchers of the year. So I, I believe it deserves the attention of, of you know, leading off the show. And you mentioned them going big. And I tweeted out immediately after the game, like, I have a lot of coaching questions for Terry Stotts. And one of them is, where was Ennis Cantor, who absolutely feasted in, in the first game? Yeah. I mean, he, had, he had his way. Um, I mean, Dame had like 10 assists in the first half of that first game, and they were all off of the pick and roll uh, to Ennis Cantor. I mean, he finished with, with 20 and 11 off of 8 of 12 shooting. However, say she only played 26 minutes tonight, and he mm-hmm. had 11 rebounds, but we only, you know, we didn't find him. Minnesota took him out a little bit with their zone, but you mentioned them going big and that's not being able to rebound. He was nowhere to be found. I know they like playing Covington at the small ball five. But again, we did not, we weren't decisive in our double teams. I don't think we had a a strategy of how we wanted to defend this team. You know, I know Anthony Edwards went on, you know, kind of unreasonably hot. Like you don't really expect him to, to make six of 14 from downtown, but you know, I would have lived with Jared Vanderbilt, Jake Lehman, Ricky Rubio, Hernan Gomez, Akogi. None none of those players were hitting threes. It was Jalen Noel. And Anthony Edwards, those are the two mm-hmm. players you didn't want open from three. And I, I think this comes back to my my concern with Terry Stotts is they'll try things, but the rhyme or reason for when they want to try to trap or blitz or send a double really has no, there's no strategy behind it. And I, I remember there was one game this year and we played a team, maybe it was Orlando. It was a team with a really good big. Oh, it was Philadelphia. Excuse me. It was Philadelphia. It was at home. And Damian Lillard explicitly uh, said in the post game, we decided to double team Joel Embiid from the backside in, mm. in the fourth quarter. He was seeing it when we, were, when we were coming from foul line extended. So he would just pass it over. But we caught him slipping a couple times coming backside because he couldn't see it. And we've, I remember us really, you know, diving into that because, you know, the Blazers making an in-game adjustment and it working, that was, you know, uh, that was newsworthy. It just doesn't happen very often. When I watched the Blazers defend the Minnesota Timberwolves, I felt like they, they never had an identity of what they wanted to do. Uh, sometimes they would double. A lot of times they would get lost in communication of whether they're switching, whether they're not, it would lead to a lot of, you know, open threes or, um, a lot of switching. I mean, Rodney Hood got matched up on Carl Anthony Towns quite a few yeah, times. Yeah, or DJJ. Or even Anthony Simons yeah. and, and throughout the, the game. And like those, that can't happen. And you're not getting practice time, which I completely understand. However, playing the worst team in the league is probably the best way to kind of work out some of these, you know, rough patches. And it just, it, it seems like we're, we're not seeing any improvement um, overall with, with this team. We're still, our defensive rating is still second last, second to worst in the entire NBA. We still give up over 115 points per night, which puts us in the bottom five. Um, you look at, I think you can really look at all three games. You know, we were able to just outclass them in that first game with, with Carmelo. 
but you look at the Phoenix game and the second Minnesota game, Portland had opportunities to run away with both. If you want to talk about the Phoenix game, we shot, I think, 42% from three, but we could not stop them from from matching us. And Mm -hmm. it, it disallowed us from pulling away. And then when we inevitably went cold, because you can't stay that hot throughout an entire 48 minutes, Phoenix was able to, you know, continue their hot streak. You know, they were able to string together defensive stops. And then tonight we scored 20 points in the first quarter against the Minnesota Timberwolves. That was our lowest scoring first quarter of the entire season. We had 49 points at halftime. And I believe we just had 72. Yeah. We had 72 points through three. Well, we exploded for 40. We had 40 points in the fourth quarter. That should have been enough. But no, we gave up 38. Like we, we, our inability to defend, not even at a high level, I would say just at a decent level for a consistent 48 minutes. It, it, it terrifies me, Sage. And you mentioned them going big. I mean, that's a whole other ball of, that's a whole other can of worms we can open up because Neil O'Shea has refused to even sign even a 10-day contract or an additional two-way contract to help us out. Harry Giles has been out for three weeks. Nurk has been out about eight weeks. Uh, we have one player taller than 6'8", and that's Ennis Cantor. We're, we're in the same boat as we are last year. Uh, I feel like we're, we're we're just doing the same thing and expecting different results, and I don't think that's realistic. And, I, I mean, when, when I talked about the bigs, we don't have the, 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 the length, but we do have one center, and he was – the, for the jumbo lineup run. So it was like, we couldn't even take the one center that we had to match. I, I think that it would have been a better matchup for us if it was Ennis, Rob, and then Mello. Then it would have been uh, Rob, Mello, and Anthony. It just didn't make sense that the one beefy big man that's on our team was out in kind of clutch minutes in the last six minutes of the, the game before in which we won, it was like, is Ennis hurt? What's up? Why he played the first six minutes of the quarter. And then when they put cat in, we didn't have anybody to match outside of Robert Covington, who I think does a really good job of post defense and rebounding, but we're really undersized when he's the five. So it was, it was very confusing. The first two minutes or the, the, the two Minnesota games where we didn't, it seems like we messed up the rotations with, with our bigs. The big rotations was was messed up. Um, I think a few people played too much. Uh, certain players played too little. So it was a very confusing uh, two games for us. Yeah, you mentioned players playing too much, players playing too little. Um, I think Covington as a small ball five works, especially in today's NBA but you have to have the right personnel around him. I think you need aggressive defenders. I think you need smart defenders. I think you need players who can just move laterally quick. Like they may not be able to, okay, I'm one-on-one on an island with you know Kawhi or, or James Harden, and, and you feel good that they're going to make them work for you. I'm not necessarily talking about that type of player, but you need players who are able to read the situation and say, okay, I'm going to come in quick double. I can hedge back. Like you just need, I think, some athleticism. You know who would be so, great? Alfred Camino, Alfred Camino with the Robert Covington would be a really good, but you talked about adaptation and there was a play uh, in one of the two games where Dame picked up his dribble right next to the uh, half court line and we couldn't 
for the life of us give him an open lane and then they accidentally fouled and bailed us out of a situation so offensively as well we have trouble adapting to circumstances where it's like we need to do something to help the player that doesn't have his dribble and is at and is helpless because he can't move i think that it's a overall team issue that we can't adapt to that circumstance where something is just outrageously wrong and we don't do anything to stop it and carl anthony towns taking a random swipe was the difference between us getting a bailout foul or a fast break with a koji again that was this most recent game and you're 100 percent right it, it is a failure on neil olshay's part to add in another playmaker we have been begging for someone who can just handle the ball make an open shot make a decent decision here or there. And it is a failure on Terry Stotts' part because if you have another creator, that, that allows you to play Dame off ball. So I understand Terry is limited in that aspect. So that's why Neil gets the blame for that one. You can't play Dame off ball because you really have no one to distribute it you to. You have him. no one to bend the defense at all. Exactly. However, this is year nine of the Dame era. We have really seen teams and it's picked up seemingly game by game, whether it's a a soft zone that Minnesota was doing or what we saw Golden State do last week, basically blitz and deny Dame for a full 48 minutes. And we saw a lot of uh, pressure defense, 94 feet from Minnesota as well, whether it was Noel or Kogi on on Lillard. We have no idea how to beat that. And if, if that doesn't concern you as a Blazer fan, like, I don't know what will because, you know, newsflash, we are going to see this exact, the Blazers are getting, you know how when you were in school and the teacher would give you an open book test? This is exactly what the NBA opposition is doing to the Portland Trailblazers. This is an open book test. They're saying, here, this is what's going to be on the final exam. Can you beat it? And time and time again, we haven't. We haven't figured out a way. What I saw... <laughs> against this sob zone in Minnesota was four guys standing around the perimeter and Dame just kind of out there for, for basically on a life raft for, for, for dear life. And if he wasn't able to create and get into the middle of the floor and either, you know, finish at the rim, pull up for the three or drive and kick for, for a three from one of our shooters, the offensive stagnated. And that's why we had 73 points through three and Minnesota, they don't really have, many defenders that you would call home about Nick. Oh, you got to come check this, this guy out. So, and it's, it's, I'm just at a loss. Like how, how do you not fix this Sage? The player, I think it's a, a fault of everybody. The players aren't adapting. The coach isn't adapting. The GM isn't adapting. One thing that I noticed that was really troubling is that Dame got to the rack and Rodney Hood and Cove as well got to the rack. And instead of acting to score, they acted to pass. They won the individual matchup. So it was just like scoring was the the, the best plan for them. And they didn't do it. And they would pass it out to a, a really bad contested shot. Because the Timberwolves were doing a really good job of playing on a string and just rotating. Rotating to a person that wasn't exactly their man. So it was weird to see like Rodney Hood beat someone off the dribble. And then instead of going for the layup, he t- he went for a pass. And it was confusing because it was like, man, 
these one-on-one matchups are so precious. And if Cub or Hood or, or Cub Hood or Gary won, it was it looked like they were trying to feed the uh, the the shooters, and it was it was very confusing because even I saw Dame do it a few times, and I was like, hmm, you won that. They the Minnesota uh, Timberwolves don't have Rudy Gobert. They don't have some shot blocker that scares you. They have Carl Anthony Towns who has been on no man's land for every pick and roll point and has scored. It was seemed seeming to be Carl Anthony Towns did the wrong thing and got scored on. So it was, it was weird for this particular game to be like, we won this, but we actually lost. It was a, it was a very weird thing to uh, watch, watch happen. And you could kind of say, well, Dame didn't do enough. Dame wasn't aggressive enough early and that that could be true, but again, Dame bailed us out. He's bailed us out countless time, time and time again. He we ends almost up with, got bailed out again tonight. He ends up with 38 points. He's shooting over 50% from the field, damn near 50% from three on 13 attempts. Gets to the line nine times. Our second leading rebounder at seven, four assists because nobody else can hit a shot. Um, again, and I think Dame is, is knowing this. He's, he's trying to not to have to do this every single night because he knows he's going to get wore out. Plays 37 minutes on the second night of a back-to-back. And to be honest, he shouldn't have had to even have this type of a performance. You're playing the worst team in the league. Like Other players have to step up. And Portland's wings, we, we just need help, Sage. I mean, Derek Jones Jr., should have been on the floor for Rodney Hood, which we'll, we'll get to that discussion in a second, just primarily for defense. But your starting three was 0 for 4, had no assists, three rebounds, and, and zero points in 20 minutes. Um, th- that cannot happen. You're looking at Rodney Hood, who plays 25 minutes, two for five from the field, five points. So basically, your you're two primary wings, aside from Damon GT, five points. You, you can't win like that. And then when you don't get the production from Cantor, I mean, we're, we're going to see nights like this. And it's just, it, it's rough sledding right now in, in Rip City. I, I, I think it's kind of unfair, especially this year, to say that this is the worst team we should win when there's so many other factors that go on in a game. Like, we see this team right after we beat them. And yeah, th- this team is bad record-wise, but there's still players that stepped up, like Josh Koji stepped up and showed out this game. So to say that, like, with this year and the parody, like, I watched the Pelicans lose to the Timberwolves, and then we beat the shit out of the uh, Clippers. So there, there's going to be this weird parody with teams, and I think this is just a loss. It isn't it's a loss to a bad team, but I don't think it should be the, the May storyline. Like it's tough to beat teams twice in a row. It, it really is. And I, I saw Dame t- say something like that on, on uh, the Comcast Northwest. So this team was able to adapt and we weren't and that, and, and we had a basement first half. It, it, it sucks, but it doesn't like the, 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 the team that we lost to doesn't affect me as much as it might be in a, in a, a normal year. See, I, I think I disagree, and the reason I disagree is because we knew this type of schedule was coming, especially when they're trying to condense so many games into so little time. 
they want to get the, you know, they want to minimize travel. So, you know, you're going to get these mini series. I think against regular teams, yeah, it's going to be tough to, to, to beat them twice, which is why you go into Golden State and you split and, and you take that. Golden State is one of the best players in the league. He clearly went off in that second performance, which is why it's hard to, to take two. But you're, you're, I mean, this isn't hyperbole. They are the worst team in the league. Before tonight, they had, they had eight victories and they were without significant help. And why this loss hurts so much, it's just like the Wizards loss all over again because you knew a really difficult stretch of schedules coming up, but you couldn't handle business. And that's what, that's really what the seeding, when you look at, you know, the three, four, maybe even the two seeds in each conference, they're the teams that just don't beat themselves. Like they may split against the elite teams, but they're beating the bottom feeders consistently. And the Spurs made a living off of that. And so knowing how difficult the schedule is going to get, I mean, this was the basically the NBA equivalent of just two gimmies and we blew one of them. And so now, I mean, we'll get to the preview for next week, but just to reiterate how difficult the schedule is going to get. Okay. So you, you, you couldn't sweep the Timberwolves, but now we're going to give you back-to-backs against the Pelicans who we, they, they have talent. They have an all-star and we barely beat them once in new Orleans and now you're going to face the red hot Dallas Mavericks twice in a row. There's a back-to-back thrown in there to end your homestand. You get probably the best team in the league right now, the Brooklyn Nets. And then by the way, you're going to go on the road for four straight. So I'm not trying to be overly critical of this team, but when they're, when the opportunity to get it basically as, as close to a free win as possible is there and you don't take it, that's going to come back to bite you. And just given how difficult our schedule is going to be, as we as we finish this you know second half of, of the season, you know Dame has been talking about we got to stay in the top six. This game could be the difference between being in the plan and not being in the plan. So I think that's why it just is intensified so much. Like the Phoenix game, Phoenix is really hot. We're without two players that I think could have made a difference against the the Phoenix Suns. You kind of just shrug that one away. I thought we actually played really well in that game, but then to come back and just I mean, we struggled in both games. So it's not like we just played really well and then just had, oh, oh man, that's just, that was just an off night. It was two pretty poor, poor stretches of basketball, two games where you're just like, you're not really feeling good where, where the team is at and knowing that you're going to play those similar situations and in terms of the back-to-back against uh, the same team twice in the upcoming week. It's a little cause for concern, especially with how uh, jumbled up uh, that Western Conference is. All of these players are top one percenters in the league. And if we're going to talk about, like, you mentioned, you know, we're going, we we would have gone against a team ungodly hot in the Suns. We were ungodly cold in that first half. So I don't know. It's like sometimes shots that you think will go in or rimming out. I don't know. I I just don't find. I think you care about this these these wins a little bit more than me, in terms of like each one's magnified. I think that it sucks, but we have a lot more games to worry about. So, you know, bring on the Pelicans, bring on the Mavericks. I think we'll do better against them. You are quite the optimistic. Uh person on on tonight's episode my friend yeah well you know like 
see, I don't think it was just we, we missed shots. I didn't really like the shots we were getting, uh, to be quite honest, in that second game against Minnesota. I mean, the first four minutes was basically a blooper reel with both teams missing layups and uh, running into each other and, you know, throwing the ball away. That kind of set the tone for the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have the ability to take good shots, to run offense. I, I guess there's just been – the team hasn't just been able to put it together. And you said there are games left. You're 100% right. There are games. But every time we complete a game, that means we inch that much closer to the postseason. So, you know, we are past the halfway point. So they do – they all count. I mean, each one counts the same, but especially when, you know, you're starting to, to watch in the standings. Oh, you know, we got some good luck with your Pelicans beating the, the Clippers and even Phoenix lost to the, the Pacers uh, last night. You kind of just bonus, a bonus, triple double. You just kind of take a step back whenever you, you know, you're not able to, to get the victory. So it's, it's, it's a rough performance, but I think the elephant in the room for Rip City Sage is Rodney Hood. Um, I'm pretty astonished that he's getting so many minutes. Um, Casey Holdall basically replied to a tweet asking what's going on. And he said, well, he's the only one that can bring the ball up the floor. And that Casey's hundred percent, right. That's why Hoodie's playing, but that goes back to our point Sage. What are we doing as a franchise when hood clearly doesn't have it? It's no fault of his own. He had one of the most devastating injuries you can have. He's not back. I don't know if he'll ever be back to what his former self was. But the fact that we're relying on him to be our second second ball handler, um, that's troublesome, right? I one second before I answer this question, I have a very I, I'm going to run a uh, uh, a test on something because I don't think that's right. When did CJ get injured? Fifteenth of January. So I'm running a uh, query right now of our minute Yusuf and CJ off and uh, Giles just to make it look better. Okay, so when you said that, I made a face at you. I don't know if you caught it, but Rodney Hood isn't the only one that's bringing the ball up. That's I think Mello brings the ball up. I think Anthony brings the ball up. I think what we're trying to do is, I don't know. Like, I don't think Rodney Hood is the main playmaker. I think it's a, I think he is one of the few playmakers off the bench, but I think Anthony and Mello, Gary are contributing more offensively. So for Casey to Casey and the Blazers to say Hood is the guy that's the primary playmaker. I didn't say playmaker. Casey said, bring the ball up the floor. And that's what I, Okay, but to he's a reliable from, from ball what the numbers are showing me on NBA Wowie from a data range of January 15th to today, March 14th, it's showing that Hood's contributing to the usage and playmaking, but he isn't the end all be all. So for me, I would, I, I don't, I think he is bringing the ball up more, but I don't know if he's really doing what a playmaker would do. And I think he and Anthony are, I think Anthony is driving into the lane and contributing off playmaking more. So yes, I, I do see that Rodney hood is being the, a bit more of a playmaker, but bringing the ball up, he has to, I don't know. I, I don't think that that's as, uh, 
then a why good enough he, reason for his role? Like, why is he getting so many minutes then? Because he, he should not be playing more than Derek, and he should not be playing more than this year. So that, that's my question, Sage. Yeah, why why is he? Like, that was my one thought that I could think of. Like, Terry Stotts trusts him to bring the ball up the floor. I don't know if there's a stat about bringing the ball up the floor, but he does it quite often. And with CJ out, we don't really have uh, another ball handler. So why is Hood, who he's – this hurts to say because, like, he's one of my favorite Blazers. He had such a great run with us in 2019. He's just a shell of his former yeah. self. And for Dare, so Minnesota was was cooking in in the second half. I mean, we mentioned they had 38 points in the fourth quarter, but at one point they were 14 of 21 to to start the the second half from the field. And if they weren't hitting, they were getting to the foul line. And so my biggest question with Terry Stotts was, why is our second, third at at worst um, perimeter defender and Derek Jones nowhere to be found, or why not give you know, Nasir Little um, mm-hmm. more run, who's going to, again, work off ball. Yes, he didn't hit his three tonight, but he was open in the corner. And he's he's at least, a, you know, a big active body who's going to get out there and, and rebound. Um, I just... Anybody else than Rodney Hood would have been an, a, a, an, an improvement defensively. Um, yeah, I I don't really have an answer for why Hood is playing so much. Maybe they're trying to show that he's healthy enough to trade. But yeah, like in, in my memory, and I guess it's a selective memory because I'm human, but I, I, I seem to think that Hood dribbles the ball up, looks to pass it to either Mello or Anthony to start offense. So dribbling up the court, anybody that can dribble can do that. So I, I don't know, because he doesn't engage the offense as much as the minutes dictate that that role that player with that role would do. So I don't know. I, I I think that is the one big question in this week is why is Rodney hood playing so many minutes? Cause I, I Nasir little obviously is playing so well. Like we've been tweeting about him. He's made exciting plays. I think that even Anthony Simons in that Suns game had a different aggression and play style than he has all year. So I would like, we're seeing improvement from our young guys, but the guy who's recovering from the most uh, awful injury for an athlete is getting the line share of minutes at, in the guard roles is very confusing to me. So I don't know why, but it doesn't make sense from what all of the stats are telling me right now of what Rodney Hood's contributing to this team. I think that Nasir obviously deserved it. Derek Jones Jr. was having a bad day offensively, but he would have put up much better of an effort on Anthony Edwards than Mello and Hood did. So it, it was a very confusing rotation for, for our uh, Terry Stott's last three games, to be completely honest. But I, I don't believe that bullshit about... He can. He's the only. He's the second best dribbler on the team, because I've seen Covington get to the rim, and I've seen Anthony be able to dribble, and Melo has made a, a living off of being able to push the pace and get to his spots and score. So I think I talked about this on the last episode about these two games telling me all I need to know about this team, and 
what, what I found out that I didn't really like. And I think you're starting to see cracks in the Blazers that the warning sides have been there. I mean, we've talked about Portland's um, our net. We give up more points on average than we score. It, it is only by negative 0.5. But us and the Spurs are the only team in the Western Conference that have a negative net and would currently be in the playoffs at the moment. And I believe Miami is a negative 0.9 and Charlotte is a negative 0.1. Those are the only teams in the Eastern Conference. Usually, just to give context, Utah's eight and a half, Phoenix is plus six, Lakers plus five, Clippers five and a half, the Nuggets five. Nuggets have had way more of a you know, up and down season. If you think about where they started, I think it just goes to show the brilliance of Damian Lillard. He's helping us win close games, but you can start to see the vibe of a blazer game. If they're not hitting from three, it's going to be a long night. If they are hitting from three, can they stop the other team from scoring? And it feels like a lot has to go right for them to get it done. My question for you, Sage, does CJ and Nurk do they fix all of these warning signs that that we've been seeing in terms of our inability to get defensive stops, our lack of movement on offense, our reliability on the three-point shot? Um, those are the three big keys for, for me. Do, are, are we naive enough to think that, oh, we get CJ and Nurk back, everyone is just going to come together and we're going to be the team that we, we thought we were? Or is it just going to maybe mask our our deficiencies a little bit better? I, I, uh, first, I want to say a, a big reason why we're winning is because we were make, making a, a ceiling level amount of three-pointers. A lot of threes went in. So I would add that to the reason why we won. But it's Damian Lillard and then the uh, positive uh, amount of three-pointers being made. So... CJ Nurk coming back, I, I, I think that Nurk is going to uh, fix a lot of the interior pressure given up by the guard because he is a good defender. Is it going to mask it so we're a top 15 defense? I doubt it, but it will improve. The reliance on the three-point shot is always going to be there, but I think that having that secondary creator that can bend the defense is going to help improve the quality of shots that we take. I know I saw a graph about uh, on Twitter the other day about how much, how many difficult shots that we take in comparison it was a to the disgusting graph. I, I, but I, I, I think had, that I that graph, that graph, I think, is a little skewed by the fact that we have a guy that thrives into making, taking and making difficult shots. I bet if we took Dame out, we would be average. But I think that. A, a secondary creator like CJ McCollum is going to help the quality of shots that we take. And uh, what was the third? You said three pointers in defense. What was the third point? Movement on offense, lack of it. Having that secondary creator is going to help with finding open. You know, it. this is what basketball is, is that you win your creation matchups and force the defense to react. We have one guy that consistently can create uh, match matchups in our favor. Now with CJ back, we have two, so I think that every that will improve. Is it enough to mask it? Sometimes 
I think the I think everything will improve, but I don't know if it's going to be to the point where we're all super psyched for games against really tough teams. But I think that CJ and Nurk are definitely going to help, but it isn't going to fix everything. One piece of positive news this week was that Carmelo Anthony moved up the all-time scoring leaderboard, passing Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon. He is now 13th on the list. I don't think his points from tonight have been included, but after Saturday, he was at 26,955. My question for you, Sage, how high do you think Melo can climb? All right, so Melo's 11th. 13th. Wouldn't it just be NBA? Or... I go NBA and ABA. Okay. Because Dan Issel has, didn't, wasn't putting up those points all in the NBA. No, but he was a bad, bad boy. He was a bad he, motherfucker, for sure. And ABA was, the ABA was fucking hooping. So I, I think we need to count those statistics. I know the Blazers official will go by just the NBA, but, you know, those were the two leagues. They eventually merged. We got a few teams from that. So you can either say he's 13th or he's 11th. Either way, very impressive. Absolutely. He's had a one, uh, very impressive career. I think he I think he can get to I think he can pass Moses Malone this season. It depends on how many years he plays, but he can he can get past Shaq too, but I think Shaq's the peak. I, I don't think if you're looking at the yeah, if you're looking at the NBA list, Wilt's at 31,419. Um, if you're looking at the NBA ABA list, Julius Irving's just over thirty thousand. I think that's his peak. Um, otherwise, you really start to get into like every time you're passing, every time you're passing somebody, it's like a thousand to two thousand points, and that's a damn season at this point. And you know, Melo's already thirty six, so who knows how much he has left in the tank? But I think if he can finish top ten, I think that's definitely what he's. He won't say it publicly, but I think that's what he wants to leave a legacy like if you can exit the game and say you're top 10 in any statistical category that's a mm-hmm. positive for the team that's that that's legendary i mean just think about it in everything it's the top 10 who's your top 10 favorite mcs who's your top 10 favorite basketball players top 10 sneakers all those lists it's top 10 so if you can be on one of your, the of the 10 fingers that you hold up when you list them that's that's some crazy shit and that's like a legacy that that you can be proud of because if you're a top 10 at anything like top 10 radio host of all time you're you're chilling with whoever or top 10 streamer or whatever top 10 accountant like that's that's high esteem and you look at at mellow like aside from dame he was easily our second best player this weekend uh, really saved us that first that first game, especially that fourth quarter performance. Uh, he ended up with 26 points, 8 of 14 from the field, uh, added six assists, including just a beautiful touch dime to oh, DJ yeah, that was beautiful. from the top of the key uh, just to seal that victory. That, that was gorgeous. And then he had another fantastic night tonight, um, played 30 minutes, was a team high, plus eight, 16 points off the bench. Uh, six of 15 from the field, five assists again, four rebounds, just one turnover. Um, again, we're getting this production off of a minimum contract, which makes it that much more just efficient and valuable. Uh, we would be lost 
you know, we talk about Dame. Obviously, we'd be lost, but Carmelo, I think we need to maybe start calling him consistent Carmelo because he's been bringing it on a nightly basis. You know you what you're going to get from him. He's able to uh, shoot the ball, obviously, from beyond the arc. You can also run offense through him. He still commands a double team at this stage of his career. Uh, he's easily an option to close out games. He's not quite the defensive sieve that maybe his reputation he suggested. Makes, like, he, gets a st- he gets a steal or a block a game. I know he that gets. that isn't the end-all be-all for your defensive capabilities, but he makes some big plays in big moments, especially with his quick hands. And I, I've, his end-game abilities is so valuable to this team without CJ because – we're starting to see some players really shine in that situation. Some kind of falter in that situation to have somebody that wants the ball in his hands to end the game other than Damian is really, really huge. So yeah, mellow has been very consistent scoring, taking advantage of very young players that just want to block shots and will jump at anything. He's played a very smart professional, uh, few weeks so salute to him and i won some money off of him on a player prop i know you have a question for me but before we get to that we got to talk about nasir little i think he continues to blossom he's had a couple of throwdowns this week one in transition against the suns uh then off the dribble over four timberwolves uh on saturday he's jumping and you're like there's how are you attempting this and he finishes it like we haven't had a big wingman like like this in in quite some time he's got it got a big frame he's got a nice uh jumper from from downtown he's active he's great on the glass he's a he's our only he's a better lob threat right now i would say than Derek jones which is crazy but he's just able to he knows when to roll he's a great finisher I still stand by that. I think he's going to be the starting three next year, or at least he needs to be the direct backup. Given his growth, he's basically having, you know, a Gary Trent type of breakout season, which GT had in his sophomore campaign. We're seeing this exact same progress from this year. So given what you have seen Sage, and if you can pencil him in as either the starter or the direct backup next year, do you think Portland do you think they will address this in the offseason or at the deadline? There's 11 days until the deadline. They could free up some room to make sure that Nasir is in that top eight to nine rotation with a move. Do, do you think they will do that? And if so, what avenue will they choose, deadline or offseason? You know, if, if you were to have me bet on if the Blazers make a move, I would bet yes. But if you ask me what we would do, I think we trade Rodney Hood, but you could convince me something else because Rodney Hood is his value doesn't decrease this year like certain other players. Rodney Hood is very tradable at the at the start of uh of the offseason as he is now, maybe even more. So I think we make a move. I would guess it's Rodney, but it doesn't have to be Rodney. But I think, yeah, I, think- I, I think Nasir deserves all of his minutes. So maybe we're just trying to show off, hey, he's healthy enough for you to have this valuable contract. 
for yeah, for me, I, I think the value it's unfortunate, but I think the value just is in that Hood's essentially an expiring contract. Yeah, exactly. So, that that I mean, he's a Trevor Ariza deal for a reason. Hundred percent. So if you're able to maybe take on some salary, um, I think the biggest back and forth I go with is, and I a hundred percent believe Blazers Blazers front office is thinking the exact same thing: is what do we do with Gary Trent Jr. Um, Trade him or C- sign him. That that's the two, or, or let or let him walk. Like they're that that whether Blazer fans think that is a legit avenue. No, it, it, they really that that is something that they could do. I think it's um, suboptimal, but it is a choice that they can make. It is. However, you could have told me in 2016, and I'm, I'm not saying they're the same player, but it's a very similar situation. You've got a young shooting guard who is going to command 15 plus million dollars. It was Alan Crabb. I was 100% for bringing him back. I wanted him back at all costs. I didn't blink an eye when I saw that Brooklyn wanted to sign him for four years, $64 million. Boy, do, do I wish we would have just passed on that one. Because, yes, I know we traded it next year. We still have so much dead money from Andrew Nicholson's contract because we decided to, to stretch it instead of just eat it. And so th- there are also, obviously, we can't see into the future. We don't know how Gary progresses. We don't know what contract he'll be offered or what. And I'm not saying we should trade him or we shouldn't trade him. I'm just saying I think that is the biggest question that we'll, we'll probably get to see answered. Um, if the Blazers, so the deadline is in 11 days stage. If the Blazers do not trade him, they absolutely have to have a plan. They have to say, we're keeping you regardless. If they have any questions of whether they want to keep Gary Trent Jr., I think they need to trade him before the deadline because you, like you said, you cannot risk losing a young asset like that for nothing. And what I will say about Gary is his value is significantly higher than Alan Krabs ever has been or ever will be or ever was. Like this is he's he's a better player than he and he's a better player. He is our best, and when I say this, he is our best realistic trade asset. The Blazers aren't trading Dame, they're not trading CJ. He is our best trade asset that we have. And so if your second best player is CJ McCollum, who plays the same exact position, you're getting better production from a younger player in this year. Little, um, not better than Gary's production, but you're getting improved production from this year. Can you use a player like Gary with Rodney's contract, maybe with Zach's contract? Can you do something something that makes the team better now? And you're not losing, you're not adding salary in the long run because Right now, Sage, if the Blazers keep it status quo next year, they, they bring back Hood, they bring back Zach, they bring back Mello, they sign Gary to a contract north of $15 million a year, whew, that is luxury tax nightmare. And I don't know if necessarily you're a, a better team. You're just basically this year's Blazers, but potentially healthy. So it's just going to be very interesting to see what they do. Neil O'Shea keeps things very tight to the chest. Uh, you never really know when a trade's happening with him. Uh, he, it just happens. Really, yeah, nothing ever leaks with, with, with Neil Olshay. You know it's out when Woj is uh, When Woj says it. something you you should believe about the Blazers, you should believe it. Anyone else says it, don't believe it. He only talks to Woj about this shit. So if so, Woj is starting to say the Blazers are interested in player X, you can you can kind of believe that shit. Of course, luck has a lot to do with it. But you can believe it if Woj says it. 
So I have two questions for you. The first, if the Blazers do trade Gary Trent Jr., what type of player are you looking to bring back? doesn't have to be a specific player, but archetype. Are you looking for a point guard? Are you looking for a playmaking four? Uh, what, what are you looking for? If, if in an ideal world, this, this type of player was available and you could give up Gary and get it, who, what type of player are you looking for? So we're giving up Hood, Collins, and Gary? Yep. A tall initiating wing. Who is an example? Not saying this player is who we get, but who is an example of who you're thinking of? Um, one of those guys like a Jim, a Jimmy Butler archetype. Gotcha. So a tall, a taller player that can initiate offense and play defense. The most valuable commodity in all of basketball is what yeah, I. Yeah, I think you need you. You absolutely have to get a starting forward because Covington can switch. I mean, he can really play anywhere along the front line. He's so very, he would, he's adaptable. You can you yes. can put him wherever. And that's that's the the beauty in Covington is he is adaptable. And so the Blazers have made no they haven't kept this shy. This is a Damon CJ show, and it's it's going to keep going on. That they're not. We had a chance to potentially trade for James Harden, and and we passed. The Blazers love CJ McCollum, and rightfully so. He was having a career year, so you know you're you're going to war with with Damon CJ as your backcourt. The reason I ask you, Sage, is because Gary is probably best suited to play the two. You, you need to get your – I mean, you can only play five guys at a time. So if you are going to make a move, obviously find find a starter. And so it's my second question for you is, you know, dribble, pass, shoot. The Blazers will trade Gary Trent Jr. at the deadline. I mean, clearly dribbling is uh, a way to run out the clock until next week's episode. but. I, I would be uh, more interested in a in a pass or shoot answer from you. How is this for an answer? If the right trade happen, if the right trade is presented, I think we shoot it. If the right, if the, uh, the trade that isn't satisfactory, we re- we resign them. Yeah, I don't think you I, can't I think trade I would, him willy I would, nilly. I would agree with that, hundred percent. That would be my response as well. Like. You, you can't just make a trade to make a trade. Um, and But I do think Neil would be remiss if he didn't explore. I think he's ways. doing his due diligence for sure. Absolutely. So, you know, there's, we all love Gary Trent. Like this isn't, if Gary Trent was under contract for this contract for one or two more years, you're not even, we're not even having this discussion. Just like with Carmelo, the production at that value is unprecedented. It's so hard to find. So, so you keep him. Unfortunately, Gary's a restricted free agent, and a lot of the, the big fish have already signed with their with their teams. So the summer of 2021 is going to be the summer of the restricted free agent, and we're going to see a lot of big offers thrown out there because these teams have been saving up money to spend at, you know, Gobert and Paul George and, and Giannis and C.J. McCollum. And they quietly, you know, signed with their own teams. that They, they, they re-upped. So there's a lot of restricted free agents. John Collins is one, Gary Trent Jr., Alonzo Ball. Like those type of prospects are out there and they're going to command high dollars. So again, I don't just trade him to trade him, but I do think the Blazers, I think they, they have to look at Gary's body of work up until the deadline. They say, okay, if this is the, if this is what we're getting for Gary, 
production-wise, this is where we're okay matching a deal. Like, I don't think you can project where he's going to go because like, if, if this is the worst you're going to get a Gary, that, that's a pretty damn good player, but you have to really have a number in mind of what you're w- willing to pay. And it's going to be tough. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. If it's there, make it. If not, you got to bring him back and, and hopefully he can still produce alongside CJ. And at the, at the very worst, maybe he continues his production and you're able to move him next season or, or whatever, or he thrives alongside Damon CJ. I mean, there's just so many variables out there, but again, I wanted to, it is a bit of an uncomfortable topic, especially for a lot of our listeners who have an attachment to our players. And Gary is probably one of our the biggest fan favorites, but again, we're here to win for Dame. Gary's the best chip we have. You can't just ignore it and say, no, this Blazers team we have right now, it's good enough to win a championship. I don't think even those diehard Blazer fan would say that. There's always ways to improve. And that's that's what why, why the GM gets paid. But what they get paid, they got to make the, the tough choices. Yeah, I, I think Neil O'Shea found value in Gary Trent Jr. The second, um, remember uh, Seth Curry and he shared the MLE that year. That showed that he valued Gary Trent more than giving him a, the, a second rounder's contract. He gave him a contract where it was guaranteed. So he's shown that he's valued his, uh, uh, you know, place on this team from day one. So I don't think that he's willing to trade him for someone that's not moving the needle the right way. And, and we know GMs, especially Neil O'Shea, love their draft picks. Yeah. And even to a fault, we saw Kevin Pritchard do this in the late part of the 2000s. He would not get off of his, his guys. He refused to make a move. And that team kind of plateaued because he wasn't able to make that quote unquote Buck Williams trade or Neil O'Shea in, in Los Angeles, making the Chris Paul trade. Like it's, I get it. It's, it's tough for, for GMs to trade their guys, but it can, it can be, uh, you know, not to the benefit of, of the fan base, but we're the franchise. So that's what I wanted. I wanted to discuss that before, before we got into uh, your question, just because again, the deadline is 11 days away. We could be emergency podcasting at, at any moment. So you and I both are invested in the NFT top shot marketplace. Uh, we've kind of made it known for the last few weeks that we fuck with it. And with the last week of new moments being released, you got to see some of the moments like Damian Lillard's game winner over Chicago or uh, one that I really like is the Colin Sexton three-pointer over uh, Kyrie Irving. So my question to you in the last month, so let's say this is the end of series two for Top Shot. What are some of the highlight plays from our players that you would like to see Top Shot put on the marketplace? (sighs) That's why I gave you uh, the option to think about this. No, so obviously it's got to be Dame Lillard galore. Like I want to see Dame's three, go ahead three against the Warriors where he just sized up Kent Bazemore and just wet right, 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 right in his face. Uh, That's one. Uh, God, Nasir Little's had two Mm -hmm. um, backdoor lobs. He's had two dunks in transition. 
uh, or one dunk in transition, the one I talked about against Phoenix, where he leapt off of two feet, and then the one against Minnesota. The one against Minnesota is probably the most impressive. Over four Timberwolves, and he was fouled, but but obviously, uh, no no call there. But uh, we'll we'll leave that for another day, another discussion. Whew, what else has been? Probably Carmelo passing. Um, yeah, to Derek. Oh, that pass. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, yeah. When you said passing, I was like, yeah, passing Akeem Olajuwon. You actually meant a literal pass. It was nasty. No, was, yeah, that yeah. that pass was was fabulous. Um, anytime you can get Melo doing a heater three, so I think he had a couple of those against the the Sacramento Kings. I don't know. It's it's so hard. Like I don't have cable anymore. So I get to watch the game once on the app and that's it. I don't really get to um, rewatch it. So when I cable, I would save the game on my DVR. And obviously if we'd won, I, I would rewatch it. There's been a lot of moments. Yeah, there has. That's why, that's why I brought it up. Um, I would say the Robert Covington three, that was like a last second three that he's, he, it was pure as hell. And then the camera got him just smack cheese and, laughing his ass off as he made it is worth it. I think the Damian Lillard long three-pointers in the All-Star game definitely oh, deserve sure. a top-shot moment. Anthony Simons kiss in the rim. Um, I know that this week has been rough, but when you think of all the moments that our guys have perf- done and performed and the amazing athletics that they've shown off is like, I just thought it would be good to think about all of those plays like DJ J Mello, Ants, Gary, Dame, of course. And then Nasir Little have all done some amazing, amazing shit. And then I think Ennis Cantor deserves to have some more moments because of how well he's played in, in the starting role in a, in a situation where he knows he's not the, the, the starter, but he's playing starters minutes and uh, succeeding in those times. So I, I, I think that it was, I think it, it, these guys have performed really well and I want more cards. So I want more moments. So it was just a question I wanted to ask you because Dame should have like 12 moments, man. 100%. All right, Sage, the Blazers have four games in the upcoming week, only playing two opponents. They are all at home. Uh, Tuesday, they get your Pelicans, and then Thursday, they play New Orleans again, back-to-back Friday against the Dallas Mavericks, and then they finish the week Sunday, a week from today, against the Dallas Mavericks yet again. This would be a just a great opportunity to pick up uh, two more tiebreakers. So if you look at the tiebreakers as they stand right now, Portland loses tiebreakers to the the Phoenix Suns. That is the only one that is set in stone. They win tiebreakers over the Minnesota Timberwolves, Sacramento Kings, um, Golden State Warriors. And if they beat the the Mavericks and Pelicans just once, they would have the tiebreaker over both of those teams. So there is a a lot at stake for for these games. Uh, We won't break them down individually. We will just break down the opponent. Um, I think that the biggest, you know, if we're talking elephant in the room, if there's two elephants in the room, it's got to be, okay, when are CJ and Yusuf Nurkic returning? It could be this week. Uh, Jason Quick of the Atlantic basically said CJ is looking to have maybe a little bit more practice time, get a little more comfort before he is uh, ready to hit the floor. Uh, We've seen highlights uh, on social media of Yusuf Nurkic 
working out, shooting threes. Before we even you know, go into these games, Sage, do you think we see either of those two players uh, suit up? It has been eight weeks since both of those players went down. So it's, it's getting right up there to uh, return time. I don't think we will see him in New Orleans versus New Orleans, but I think there's a chance that we see him against the Mavericks because they're later in the week. Like maybe we see him for a game four against the uh, the Mavericks this week. I don't know. Like it's these these guys that suffered major injuries, so I don't want to rush them back so that, that they can get hurt again. So I get why they're being very cautious with these two these two players, um, but. I don't. I don't think we'll see him versus New Orleans. This, you know, it's kind of coming up quick. And if CJ wants to be one hundred percent, I don't think he he's going to want to rush it. But I think that he would be a lot of help against these two teams. But so I, I think game, it's just game for the first yeah. two at least. So the first game against the Pelicans. It's been about a month since we last saw uh, New Orleans. It was down in Smoothie King uh, Arena. February 17th, Portland won 126 to 124. Dame had uh, arguably his best game of the season, 43 points, 16 assists. Uh, I was texting you quite frequently during this game because the Pelicans were red hot from three, 15 of 32 for 47%. Lonzo went five of 10. Eric Bledsoe went two of three. Uh, JJ Reddick got really hot, but that's no surprise. And he's on the, the he's dinged up a bit right now, but we had a really hard time stopping uh, Zion Williamson, 36 points, got to the line 15 times, shot 67% from the field. Um, this this is going to be uh, an extremely difficult four-game stretch. But let's, let's talk about the Pelican Sage. You clearly are uh, a fan of the team, watch them religiously. How have they been, been performing? You, you mentioned uh, their up-and-down stretch, getting killed by the Timberwolves, but then – returning the favor to the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, what can we expect from, from your squad? I mean, when, when you're, when you're watching a bad team, there's going to be games where they surprise you and shock the world and beat, you know, a nationally, you know, thought of elite team on their own floor. But when I watched that game, Clippers didn't give a fuck. The new Orleans Pelicans absolutely did. Um, I remember saying um, when we broke down the Pelican game initially, Zion is just points. He's just scoring and scoring well, but he doesn't contribute in other statistical categories. Well, the game game against the Blazers was one of the first games where I saw point Zion and point Zion really frequently. You know, before it was uh, Lonzo and Bled, initiating most of the offense. Now it's more point Zion for the for 46 minutes. So I think that um, defending the paint is going to be even more important because if Zion's running at the paint, you want to at least show bodies so he doesn't try and rise up. Of course, it's let Bledsoe and let uh, Zoe shoot because those two just aren't uh, consistent enough with the spacing. And then... With J.J. Redick out, I've seen a real um, issue with spacing With Z- when point Zion happens. He runs the best when it's with J.J. because they can do a pick and roll, and R- J.J. can be the uh, the uh, pick man. Or, yeah, the pick man that, and then flares out to the three. So it, cu- it causes a lot of 
uh, space for Zion to do his thing. So without JJ, Zion's been a little more inefficient. But uh, if he's playing it, it that that uh, makes the uh, offense a lot more dynamic. Um, but Zion's uh, fixtured himself as the number one guy. Brandon's two. So my uh, my strategy for the Blazers is know your personnel. You let Bled, you let Zoe shoot. Because even in game one, when they were hot as hell for the first half, they they went back to earth real quickly. So I would encourage those non-shooters of the Pelicans to shoot. Yeah, and I think on the offensive end of the floor, I think especially after going one and two out of the break, I think you're going to see an aggressive Damian Lillard. And I think he needs to set the tone. And so it, it all falls falls from there. Like it, everything falls in line there. And we had 26 assists against Pelicans, against the Pelicans, excuse me. He was diming them up. In February, he had 16 of those. And I, we're talking about moments. I remember the pick Carmelo. Oh, Dame, Dame dribbled. He got the ball to Carmelo, and it was towards the end of the game. And it was he was on the the, the bench side of the wing, right near the Blazer bench. And New Orleans was was making a, a comeback, and he just he threw another dart to DJ because DJ was cutting back door. Mm-hmm. Oh, DJ and Zion gave up the two. I remember. Yeah. DJ well, I, I mean, a, the Blazers and Pelicans don't care about defense at all. And so if the Blazers move the ball and they show movement on offense, like that, that's my statistical X factor. Get rack up the assist. You said it. New Orleans will let you shoot the three. They want you to. They they you said they don't care about defense. Portland shot 18 to 41. Aside from Dame's tough shots, I remember seeing Gary Trent just mm-hmm. spotting up, Covington spotting up. So my X factor is going to be Derek Jones. He he had a goose egg tonight in, in Minnesota, but he was 13 points, six of eight from the field, seven rebounds, three assists, two steals and two blocks. He was all over the place. We need that DJ. Just like we called on Covington a couple of weeks ago to kind of step up. We need DJ to, to step up a little bit and we are a much better offense. We are a much dip, uh, more difficult offense to defend when you've got his movement. And so I think the Blazers can just move the ball, rack up those hockey assists and, make the Pelicans play defense. And what I mean by that is don't let them off the hook. Don't, don't rush into shots and mm-hmm. get into it. They'll be open if you really work on it. Exactly. And the Pelicans now are, uh, they were a very slow team to start the year, but as the year has gone on, they're moving faster and faster pace wise. So I know like, if you look at the statistics from the start of the year, Pelicans are slow, but because of the roster that they have and how sta- um, Alvin Gentry was the coach for such a long time, they're picking up the pace and moving faster. So don't prepare for a slow slugfest. This is going to be a faster paced game and faster pace means more opportunities for Damian Lillard to do Damian Lillard things. So I'm very, uh, I, I, I haven't done lineups yet and I won't, but I have a feeling Damian Lillard is going to be on quite a few of them. And then, What's I think prediction? Gary Trent has a good is going to have to have two good games because those threes are going to be open. I think Gary Trent has no problem launching, and he's kind of had a little bit of a slump recently. So I think going against New Orleans two times in a row is kind of a perfect recipe for the uh, the slump that he is going through. Predict them, Sage. 
Blazers win them both. Okay. I have Portland winning the first, losing the second. Um, again, this team hasn't shown that they can just put the yeah, foot high down. variance teams, bro. Yeah, we are. We we live by the three. We die by the three. Well, this I was is, talking this, about New Orleans. So both. Yeah, the, yeah, the the Blazers. Like if when you're this bad defensively, and you rely on the jump shot, that 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 allow. When we talked about this multiple times in the podcast, like we'll win four in a row, then we'll lose three in a row. We'll, you know, we've after that big winning streak, we're four and six in our last ten. Like, and the schedule really hasn't been super tough so that's, that's just how the blazers play and like if you get hot you get hot but you don't really have like your defense as a calling card to fall back on when the shots aren't falling so you know it's kind of just like a right now it's it's like playing roulette with the blazers are you going to bet black or are you going to bet red because you got you got a 50 percent chance right now really like i i think they'll get hot monday or tuesday and i think the shots might not fall uh, Thursday, but um, next would be the Dallas Mavericks, a team that has really turned it around. Um, I don't know how low they were at one point in terms of the record books, but they are now three games above 520 and 17 on the year. They're seven and three in their last 10. They're, they were below the play-in. They, they've slowly moved up. They're firmly in eighth right now. The two teams played an absolute classic on uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day in Dallas, Portland won 121 to 118. That was a Wild West shootout. Dame outdueling Luca. Dame at 34 and 11. Luca ended up with a 44, 9 and 7 rebounds, but he missed a wide open three to force overtime. This was this was a slugfest, and this was the opposite of a slugfest. This was a heavyweight bout. Uh, again, neither team really wanting to play a lick of defense. I, I think, I think for me, Sage, you, it's going to come down to what team can make the other pay for playing their big. I, I remember, Damn, that's so tough. <laughs> I remember previewing this game and thinking, dear God, do not put Ennis Cantor on Chris Tapsworth's and we didn't. So th- thankfully we did not do that. I think it was and, the start of Robert Covington, five minutes being a legitimate thought process and he hadn't he porzingis had an okay game 18 points five of nine from the field but he got he did most of his damage at the line going eight for eight but is dallas gonna make us pay for having cancer on the floor and cancer does so much for us rebounding the ball finishing for dame screens screens second chance points i mean he, he does so many things that we lack and if we didn't have him we would be in a world of hurt However, can we make Dallas pay for Porzingis staying on the floor? So what I would do is whoever Porzingis wants to guard, force them into a switch so Dane can have size. Porzingis on an island, exactly pick and roll if they want to double. that's I think it's going to be incredibly important that we have shooters on the floor so that if they do double, Dame can just kick it out for a three, and if, it, if they recover, it's a swing, and then you're getting open looks. Dallas will let you score the basketball. I mean, we've seen this. Just like I think us. this 100%. I mean, if you're looking at that Spider-Man meme where he's looking at each other and it's two Spider-Mans looking at one another, this this entire week of basketball is going to be that. It's going to be a lot of offense, zero defense. So whatever teams are able to maybe get that that one to two stops in a row or can, can stay hot, those are the teams that are going to win. Um, and that's how it is primarily with a lot of teams in the NBA. I mean, you see... The teams that are good, 
are either ungodly good on offense, like the Brooklyn Nets, or they play defense, like the Suns, the Jazz, the Lakers, uh, the Clippers. Like they're they're able to the the Bucks. Defense is for scrubs. I'm trying to outscore people. Um, <laughs> I think I think a really big part of Dallas stepping up is the play of Josh Richardson because he's been god awful for that first part of the year. He's finally starting to step up in clutch moments. He like uh, I remember watching. Uh, a video of the Mavericks and Josh got the the walk off interview and Luca and uh, Boban were chilling behind him. So I, I think the play of Tim Hardaway Jr. and uh, Josh Richardson actually stepping up and playing well is a big reason why they went from whoa what's happening to oh okay they're finally being the Dallas Mavericks that we expected them to be. So I mean Luca's fantastic. Porzingis, I think we need to uh, – Damien needs to be very familiar with Kristaps uh, Porzingis in these two games, just blowing by him for layups. But uh, At one point, the Mavs were losers of six straight heading into February, five games under 500 at 8 and 13. So ever since then, 12 and, 12 and 4. So th- they have really turned it around. And Port- one of their losses in that straight was to Portland. So we did beat them while they've been – uh, performing at, at a at a higher level, so we we can be we can beat them. It's just it's going to be incredibly difficult. I think we split. Yeah, I think we split as well. I think we lose on the nineteenth because that's uh, a back to back, and I think we we finish with with a victory on the twenty first. With All right, who's ahead in our who, who's ahead in the turn or uh, pickums? You're up by one game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the exact same win. As you. No, 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 no. <laughs> Game theory, baby. I'm just going to stop counting, keeping track if that is what it's going to be. You got to actually pick with your heart or your mind. Uh, um, that's, that's, that's cheese. <laughs> I was hoping you'd react like that. <laughs> it's just straight cheese. Not even good cheese. That's out of the can. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, I think we split. I'll I'll go the other one, give you a chance to catch up. I do need to be nice to you because I did uh, talk about hip hop a little too much at late night. So I'll be nice and say we win the the twenty first and lose the nineteenth. Opposite, you mean? Whatever you, the opposite of whatever you said. Yeah, I pay attention. Yeah, like th- there's no money on this. This is just bragging rights. Who can who can predict the games? Yeah, I want to so... keep my crown on, bro. Nah. <laughs> I did want to see how you reacted when I game theoried you. Um, you got anything else you want to say, or uh, can we wrap this bad boy up? Uh, I think my ex, just Robert Covington. I think oh yeah. Oh shit, we didn't even do. I was too busy being mean to you. Oh yeah, I, I think Robert Covington's gonna have to be huge for the, for us. Just you don't want to put Ennis on Chris Stapps. Do you think we'll ever see uh, Harry Giles or is he going to just be on the injury report for the rest of the year? He's just going to be another Festus Azili. I, I would rather not have that not happen, but I haven't heard anything about him. No. In and the minute. Blazers don't like to provide any information, which is super annoying, bro. Um, they don't even, they don't even contribute to the injury report at three 30, bro. It's like game time decision type shit. Or if you know they're out, 
But if there's a question, man, you don't even know what the fuck is about to happen with the Blazers. Huge annoyance when I'm trying to make money off of I mean, it, it, it is pretty weird that just a calf strain has kept him out for over a month. The Dallas game was the last game, so it's, it's been over, it's going to be over a month. Um, maybe they're being extra cautious given his injury history, but it's not looking good. If we're not, we're not even seeing him practice. We're not seeing anything. So at this point, if he plays great, I, I wouldn't bet on it. If he returns, is he going to have a sizable role for him waiting for him? Nah. Like, any five minutes that isn't dedicated to Nurk or Ennis, I want Robert Covington to have, if we're going to be real. Dude shines yeah. in that. Dude shines it's, in that uh, small ball five. Like, it's un- it's I, I thought, unfortunate. I thought we were going to get outboarded by Cat, but he put up efforts and was flying to rebounds in the last five minutes of that game. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that he had a chance to earn himself a larger contract next season, whether with Portland or another team. And he got hurt maybe a month after Nurk went down and he didn't really get a chance to showcase himself. So he's probably going to be on another minimum minimum type deal because, like you said, there's there's no role. The role will be, okay, is it a night where maybe Nurk's not bringing it? Is it a night where one of the two gets in foul trouble or the team needs a spark? And which Harry has shown that he is able to provide and he can play spot minutes. End of a back-to-back type yeah, of... consistent, guaranteed role. I, I don't see it. I don't, yeah. I'd rather give it to Robert. Yep, 100%. Anything else? I'll do it for me, my friend. All right. Uh, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Google Play, Dash Radio, nothing but net radios, Tuesdays, 2 to 3, uh, Pacific, Eastern, 4 to 5, drive time, baby. And also, I am now a Twitch affiliate, so fuck with me on twitch.tv slash desage. Uh, my Abby is my name, so fuck with me there. I want more followers. You may be. This is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.